0: It is wonderful to see you this morning, and after such a vibrant and joyful time worshipping. Just to let you know what we're about, my name is Rupert, I'm part of the team that helps lead the church, and uh, I'm actually going to be, uh, set the scene a little bit, because it's been at least a fortnight since we were last in our study of Acts. And if, there's anything, if you're anything like me, you may find that some of the details dim since we started our journey some time ago, so I'll refresh a little bit of the background, and then I've asked Lucy to read the passage that I'll be speaking from, um, so I'm very grateful to her for that. And then I'll get into, hopefully, what I feel God has laid on my heart to share with us today. So, if you'll bear with me one minute, because I wasn't quite ready when the summons came. I'm sure there's a message in there as well for that. <laughs> Anyhow... There we go. Of course, at this precise moment, Google Doc says, unable to open the document. So I will persist, and I'll do my best in just a moment. In fact, I might ask David if that's all right, just to see if he can. It's that one just there. Thank you very much. See, it's the first time which I've tried to use a tablet. I've always printed things out before, always had everything ready in triplicate, and I thought, no, it's okay, we'll we'll do it this time. Uh, So I trust David is a techno-wizard. Bless him, Lord. Let let it come to life. Essentially, where we're at, we're resuming in the book of Acts. We're all the way into chapter 22, and we'll tip into 23, and it's the story of uh, the Acts, the deeds that Jesus' followers did in the aftermath of uh, his death on the cross and his resurrection. And we're going to be following Paul. And Paul, for, for those of you who uh, are not so familiar with him, Paul was a very... We'll be back. Paul was initially... Uh, he, he was a very highly respected Jewish leader. And actually, he was really against Christians. He made it his mission. He seemed to go out of his way to persecute Christians and give them a hard time. And not just that, but even imprison and put to death uh, men and women who declared themselves as followers of Jesus. But then he had this encounter with Jesus, and he became from being one of the most vehement persecutors of Christianity to one of the most passionate followers and advocates of it. And what what's happened here, thank you so much, David. I really appreciate that, thank you. He then went on, he, he planted and he established churches across Asia, Thrace, Macedonia, uh, part of the world as it was known then. And he wrote many of them the books of the Bible. And where we jump in and where Lucy will be reading for us is a moment, it's an aftermath of high tension. Paul had gone back to Jerusalem, despite being warned not to, by some people who had concerns that uh, something would happen to him, uh, both human concerns and both prompted by God. He'd gone back to Jerusalem, and he'd been arrested in the temple. But it wasn't just a, uh, excuse me, sir, you're causing a bit of disturbance. Can you come along with me? Thank you very much. There was a mob who was seeking to kill him. The word says that they were beating him so violently, and they only stopped when the Roman Tribune, who's the local leader of uh, about a 1,000 soldiers, and his officers arrived. So these people, intent, they were doing him harm, and they were going to do even more harm. And uh, he's arrested. Basically, the Tribune thinks, well, it's got to be his fault. But he decides to do his diligence and find out what's the cause of it. And so what Paul starts to do is he starts to share the story of how he... Uh, came to know Jesus and all that had happened in his life, and he shares this life-changing encounter, and we'll return to that in a moment. But what happened was, the crowd were okay, it actually said they were okay, they were with him up to that point, and then as soon as he mentions that he has this mission of sharing God's love with the non-Jewish people, who are referred to as the Gentiles, <clears throat> it's like a red flag to a bull. The crowd erupts in this volcano light. like now Away with them, away with them. They're tearing off their cloaks. They're throwing dirt. They are furious. They are incandescent with rage. And it'd be very easy at that point to think, Oh my, how how could they do that? how could they do that to Paul? We've got to remember that for all of us there can be issues which as soon as we just hear the slightest mention of them, the red mist can descend. I was chatting about this. You know, reason and, and rational thought can go out the window. You know, if someone mentioned to mention policing, and, and, and maybe what might, people might perceive as the lack of policing on the streets, or maybe education, maybe class sizes being overcrowded. Dare I even say the B word? There they can produce such strong so whatever it was, and you know, it's not it's not really no. Whether it was xenophobia or racism, or, or just at any rate, the merest notion of, of God's love being connected from the chosen people of Israel to the non Jews, the crowd went berserk. So, what he decides is that the tribune wants to get to the bottom of this. And Lucy, this is where we jump in, and Lucy is very kindly going to read the passage for us at this point. Thank you, Lucy. Uh, we go. Oh yes, yeah, very good point. She has got a very clear voice. Wow, there we go.
1: Right. Long are the days on my uh, theatre projection. <laughs> 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 and so it's Acts twenty two verse thirty, and we'll uh, read through to uh, verse eleven of twenty three. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought the, and he brought Paul down and set him before him. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God and in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest and Ananias command those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewash wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of the rule of your people. Now when God perceived that one part was Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him to the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome.
0: Thank you so much, Lucy. See, that was brilliant. So the Tribune, the local leader, he wants to get to the real reason. He's spoken with Paul already, and he's come across as an educated man, and, and Paul himself has said that he's a, a Tarjan, and so he doesn't seem like the sort of person to be stirring up an uproar. So he's determined to get to the bottom of it. And uh, no sooner has a word left his mouth than even more drama. I mean, this would be, you who've watched this series, this would be like an episode of 24. A few nods, has anyone seen that? Or maybe, imagine another high drama series where it's moment of drama after drama after drama, and you can scarcely believe what's coming next. Paul has scarcely begun to say to offer his defense, and the high priest orders him to be struck on the mouth. Now, imagine this. You're in a court of law. You're the defendant, and as soon as you start saying something, the prosecutor says, hit him. It's unheard of. I mean, even in any of those law dramas that you might have seen, it's unheard of. Very intimidating situation. And how does Paul respond? Bless my brother. He does not, before he knows not what he does. Actually. Paul shows a moment of humanity and a flash of anger. He turns around and curses him. Now, more on the curse in a minute, briefly. But it just goes to show, actually, sometimes when we think of Paul, we think he's this you know, incredible super apostle who did all these great deeds and wonderful things. And that's true, he did. But he still, makes, he still made mistakes from time to time. And the best thing, the real thing that we can take away from it... Is actually what he does after his mistake is pointed out to him. You know, he, it's pointed out that this man is the high priest. Now, for, for, for many of us in the UK, could I think of an equivalent high priest? Even the Archbishop of Canterbury does not have as prominent a role as Ananias. Chief, uh, the high priest would have done then. Israel had no king, the nation had no king, so he was effectively the main figurehead, the highest authority to the Jewish people. And what's Paul done? He's called down judgment from God on the main figurehead for God's people. It's massive. It's, it's virtually scandalous, which is why someone next to him turns around and says, Do you know speaking to. And at that moment, Paul, he, he just says, really, I did not. See, the thing is, maybe thinking about what we can grab from this. He's broken a biblical principle, which he then quotes, do not speak evil about the rule of a people. Even though this ruler was acting in a really ungodly way. And, and this is the thing for us to think about. Even if there is somebody in authority... And they are acting in a dishonorable way, that does not give us the right to dishonor them. And, you know, what we know, for many of us, this will be familiar, is what are we called to do? We're called to do it in Timothy, it says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That's what we need to do. And and Paul had a moment where he didn't do that. And we'll see what he does in just a moment when his mistakes pointed out. He wasn't praying or blessing Ananias, was he, there and then. He was cursing him. But here's the thing. That can relate to us as well, can't it? It can relate to bosses, we might know, who are unjust, who seem to have got it in for us. You might be able to think of local politicians whose characters or conduct you have misgivings about. I'm not trying to slander them. I'm just saying there may be people who you know in those positions. And what we need to do is not gossip about them or curse them behind their back or to their face as Paul did. We need to pray for them. Because hands up who wants a quiet and peaceful life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if that's what we want, we've got to pray for them. So my question to you is this. Are you going to be involved in character assassination? Are we okay with the mic? Is it me going in and out? Are we okay? Yeah. However deserving of it they are, are we going to involve in character assassination or character edification? Because we know that the Father of all can redirect the hearts of our leaders. There's big decisions ahead for our nation. People who you may not want to give your backing to who've been entrusted with making big decisions for our nation and on a global scale. Our Father, the King's heart, is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever He will. So let's be involved. Let's actively be involved in channeling those decisions the right way, in a godly way, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives. Here's another thought, though. When... Paul has his error pointed out to him. He doesn't go on the defensive, does he? He doesn't try and excuse himself. He says, oh, I did not know, and I, I shouldn't have done this. Now, how many workplace disagreements, how many domestic arguments could be diffused just like that if we just accepted our responsibility, admitted our fault? That swift admission, a soft answer turns away rough, and for the that Paul manages to do that, with that, he's allowed to proceed. And he's able to move on because he says, hands up, yep, my mistake. So whatever scenario you find yourself in, unjust person above you or with you or side by side, let me encourage you to do that. We can take it on the chin, can't we? We can turn the other cheek because of God's love in our hearts. We get to the real reason why he's been arrested. The real reason why he has been arrested is what could look at first glance like it was a division tactic, because it says that he perceives that some were Sadducees and some were Pharisees, Jewish leaders who had different theological beliefs about understanding of, you know, about God's nature and, and what that means for us. And so it looks at first, and the first time I read it, I thought that's a diversion tactic, isn't it? He's trying to split the council. And that happens, but that only happens because he is faithful in sharing the story of God in his life. The real reason behind it, and this is what the Tribune couldn't wrap his head around, is that the Jewish people were so opposed to his mission to to reach those people who don't know him, who don't know God. And for the most part, they refused to accept the gospel in this way. They refused to believe that the Messiah, the Promised One, had come. And so they rebelled against that. They were angry, and that was what provoked their fury. So... What does Jesus say to him in the midst of all this going on? Jesus says to him, take courage. And if I was in Paul's shoes, that would be certainly one thing I would hope to hear. Because he's been beaten five times by the Jewish people. He's felt the rods of the Romans on three occasions. And he was due to be flogged, whipped with, uh, whips with pieces of bone and metal. In it. So that, that is what he was facing. So at this moment, in this, in, in this pause, when God appears to him, he says, he he receives this word about uh, taking courage during the night, a time of rest, a time to recoup, a time to recover, a time of stillness. Now, I don't know what you felt and experienced. Now, I hadn't actually had a chance to share with Izzy, who was lead, my wife who's leading worship, that this is what I was wanting to say. I don't know in that moment of stillness what you experienced, whether you felt God's peace or whether you felt a whisper of encouragement. Was he reminding you to take courage? Was he reminding you that he loves you? That the king of heaven loves you? Whatever it was, be like Mary, treasure it in your heart. Hold on to that encouragement. It's not to be taken lightly. You know, Paul needed this. Spoiler alert. It got even worse for him at times. He faced even more severe situations. I don't want to take away from what people are later going to speak on in the following passages. But when Jesus said to him, just as you've testified in Jerusalem, you will do in Rome. Well, God says it. He does it. But what's quite interesting, and and perhaps this is something that we can take away from, is that he doesn't tell Paul just how hard it's going to be. He doesn't tell him the ins and outs of it. And on one level, you can think, well, why is that? And I just thought, well, (laughs) he doesn't have to share his plans with us. The fact that he shares anything at all is out of his grace and love and his friendship towards us. But I wonder if even Paul or us in our situations, if we were to find out the ins and outs of what we would go through, if we might balk at it, and if we might think, actually, I fancy doing a Jonah and running the other way. I think another thing that's really interesting, and I hope this might help encourage us, is God uses both key elements of Paul's previous life is history. He uses his history as uh, his Jewish roots, which give him authenticity before the council. If you notice, they said he spoke, as it was in the, was in the chapter before, he said he spoke in the Hebrew language, that's in Aramaic, and suddenly the crowd, are, he's one of us. He has the authenticity because of what he grew up with and experienced to speak freely to the jewish people in jerusalem but his roman citizenship gives him access in rome as we will find later so that should encourage us that should encourage us that if god will use paul's history to reach people in different spheres he can use us as well Now, you may sit there and think, oh, okay, yeah, but Paul was an apostle, a mighty man of God. I'm just a blank. Fill in the blank. Fill fill in what is for you. But I would say that that is counterfeit. Do not esteem yourself. Do not think to yourself that God couldn't use me. Because think of the people that he called he called fishermen, he called tax collectors, he called the broken and the needy and the lost, and he brought them to him, and he filled them with grace and purpose and love, and it was their testimony which changed the hearts and minds of people around them, which changed communities. You know, he is the potter, and we are the clay. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a jar turning around and saying, oh, sorry, no, can't use me, Um, no. He placed you there, wherever you are, in this position, in this sphere of influences that you have for a reason. So, we've seen the crowd's outrage. We've seen Paul's error and his swift recognition of that and admission of that. And I hope that you can take from this that God can use any of us in whatever station we are, and he will use the giftings and the experiences that we've had for that. But I just want to sort of come back to that insult. You whitewashed tomb. I mean, if you said that in Derby right now, I don't know if you'd get people who'd be angry or just bemused. Yeah, we... I'm a whitewash. a whitewash. what is whitewash? Oh, that stuff that you paint over a wall to make it look clean. Okay, so I'm clean, but I'm a tomb. I don't really know what to, I think they'd be stunned more than anything. But this actually echoes the phrase that Jesus used. Jesus used that phrase about the Pharisees in his life and ministry. And he said that these religious leaders outwardly appeared beautiful but within are full of dead things and uncleanness. And you see, although Paul is right in that moment, dare I say, he speaks the truth, but not in a loving way. We've said that he he, he responds with a curse. And the fact of the matter is, it is true. Sometimes you've got to be quite direct in what you say. You can't hide the truth. If you don't know Jesus... You aren't truly alive. That's not my opinion. That's Jesus' words. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Another translation says abundantly. Who wants life to the full? I'm not talking about some advert where someone says, oh, you know, you've got to be thrill seekers and jump out of airplanes and climb up. Life to the full, life in all its richness Life enjoyed knowing that you are fully alive with the love of the creator who has brought you back to himself into a loving relationship. You know, you might have met some people like that. I hope you know people like that. And chances are it's because they know Jesus. The thing is, once you've met Jesus, you're truly a true encounter with him. You're never the same again. I saw a really great photo on social media. Maybe pop that up? And maybe this will help you. Oh, there we go. Thank you. You will never look into the eyes of someone God does not love. Always be kind. You know, maybe, maybe that's what would have reached Ananias even more. He, he wasn't ready to hear it, it would seem. You know, elsewhere in history, he's recorded as being... Um, Greedy and ruthlessly violent. Not in the Bible, in other, in other historical documents. And maybe he just wasn't ready to hear. I'm, I'm speculating now. But the fact is, God loved him. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes. Ananias, you, me. Whoever believes. Now maybe for those of us here, maybe you have a story of how you met Jesus and maybe it isn't as dramatic as Paul's when a, a, a great light shone from heaven and he heard a voice speaking to him by name. I didn't. I was on my own. i have been reading a book by Vaughan Roberts called Turning Points and it was like the puzzle pieces were just falling into place. I, it was like it, it was to use the, the imagery that we find elsewhere, it was like a veil's being lifted, and it just made sense. Just on my own, in my first year of university, I just said, Jesus, I just, I need you. I know I've done wrong, I know I've messed up, but I need you in my life. I want to follow you wholeheartedly. And then, a fanfare from heaven, no, I'm joking. <laughs> no, it didn't, actually. Someone next door in another room was laughing about something totally unrelated. That was it. Unspectacular. Not a Damascene Road moment. But I would suggest that it was just as significant for me as it was for Paul. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Jesus himself, in the parable of lost sheep, says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Repenting. Old-fashioned word. Actually, a military word from the Roman era, turning 180 degrees. (sighs) I've been going this way. I've been trying to do it on my own strength. It's not been enough. God, I want to live your way. It's a moment. It's a decision and an action that follows. And you might think, oh, no, I I, I can't do that. I'm not a follower of Jesus. If I'm a Christian, I'd have to go to church every Sunday. Jesus doesn't want religious people. He's the ones that he was saying your whitewashed tombs to. He was saying that to the Pharisees. He doesn't want you (laughs) to... To, to do certain things, to feel constrained or bound. He wants a relationship with you. He wants an, a close friendship with you. You know those verses that we read before about praying for the people in authority? I stopped a little bit short on purpose because it goes on and it says, I took the bookmark out. Who's got 1 Timothy 1 verses 2 to... I think uh, it's verses 3 to 4. Can someone help me out? Oh, found it. Sorry, thank you for those of you who have come to my rescue. Found it. Those verses about praying for people in authority, this is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour who desires all people to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants everybody to know that truth. He wants everybody to have life to the full. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. For all. Not just for Paul and those zealous early Christians who were setting the world ablaze with this Countercultural message of love and truth for everybody, for Ananias, for you, for me. You can have a blank slate, the record of all wrongs wiped clean. You can have life to the full, abundant life. You don't have to wait for a moment like Paul's. You don't even have to wait for a moment like mine when I was on my own. You can invite Jesus into your heart right here, right now. You might want to take your time. You might want to ask some questions. That's okay. That was what I did. I'd I'd been on a bit of a, a journey. I'd been asking things, speaking to people who I knew were Christians beforehand, and it culminated me reading in this book, and that was actually kind of the, the, the big turning point at the end of a journey. And for those of us who are Christians, maybe you're sitting here, and maybe like me, at times you've reflected recently and thought, I don't feel hugely full of life. I feel a bit weary and a bit, a bit worn down and a bit, life's just getting on top of me. You know, we are called to go on being filled by the Spirit. It says, be filled with the Spirit. And that actually talks about being ongoing filled. being filled again and again and again, like the sails of a ship. We need the wind blowing continually. So I want to encourage you, if you're a bit, of a, a bit of a weary Christian and you're feeling a bit like that, return to him who gives the Spirit without limit. Because when you do, he doesn't look on you in judgment, The father of all does not look on you like the high priest. He's not looking to rebuke you. He's looking to embrace you. He's looking to draw. He desires that all may know the truth and you have abundant life. He wants to welcome you home. You ever need to know one of the key elements of God's character. You look at the story of the prodigal son. And the father was waiting there at the edge of his property looking for that moment when the son turned around and repented, came to his senses and he ran to him and he put a robe around his shoulders and a ring on his finger. That is the picture of rejoicing through knowing Jesus. And I want to invite you to do that today whether you're somebody who's already put their trust in God and maybe just feel a bit weary or your robe's got a bit dusty or maybe it's for the first time and you want to know life to the full. All right, if I pray. Father, we thank you for this passage which shows us that your people in the places that you put them will be protected and that your plans will come to pass. Thank you that you have plans for each one of us, plans to give us a future and a hope. Father, I pray, come by your spirit now. Where you have encountered, where you have blessed, where you have encouraged, where you have whispered and brought your peace, your shalom peace. Would you help each person in the room with their next decision, with their next step? I just encourage you whether you know Jesus or don't or aren't sure, just take a moment now. That thing that you've been covering up and hiding, the thing that you might be ashamed of, that heart that's hurting, that spirit that's weary, just uncover it. Let the potter his gentle hands and let him heal you Heavenly Father Holy Spirit If it's confession, that's okay. There is nothing which his shoulders aren't broad enough to take. And there is no deed, no act, which his blood is not mighty enough and powerful enough to wipe clean. If it's admission that you need help, that's okay. He runs to those who say that. And if it is celebration... Knowing that the Father loves you, that's okay too. Father, thank you that you know us, that you know our frames, you know how we are made. And I just pray that your Spirit would just seal. And bless whatever you are doing in the hearts of people here this morning. Would you kingdom come. Would your will be done. On earth. In our lives. As in heaven. Amen. We want to thank Rupert for a God-inspired word for us today. God-inspired word for us today. Thank you, Rupert. That's absolutely brilliant. Mm. We're in that place, aren't we, of quiet contemplation and God-touching. But um, not rushing on. If you want to sit for a while and let... uh, God's conviction, prompting, healing, working you, that's great. But uh, we're drawing uh, the meeting officially to a close. Don't run off. Have some uh, fellowship and uh, refreshments with us. That would be great. And uh, bless you for coming. And uh, see you all next week.